Hello everyone, this is Brendan here with uh, another episode of Let the Good Dice Roll, and amazingly enough, this is going to be episode 10. Really? Yeah, really. Huh. Yeah, this should have been the wine drinking one. Eh, oh well. <laughs> um, so with me as always, as you already heard, is Christina. Hi guys. And we're going to be changing things up a little bit, uh, <coughs> because she's a little bit under the weather, so I'm going to be... Reading the notes and she can snipe in with funny, witty comments. I'm going to try. We're going to see how this goes. All right. So this next session that we're going to be covering is on Sunday, the 25th of June. Day after my birthday. 2017. You have to remember the year. Oh, yeah. The year is important because this, this spans over years. Day after my birthday. Everybody is back in, t well, everybody's still in town after calibration, um, and they're kind of trying to decide what to do. Uh, basically, uh, one of the things that got mentioned before is a flashing green light that started going, uh... The green light district. Yes, the green light district. One of Talisman's, uh, allies, Carl the Crafter... Yep. I don't even know what I was thinking there... Created some kind of abomination for materials, and you all killed the abomination. Do you remember this? Kind of, vaguely. Um, it was, I don't remember what the abomination was, but I remember us being very disappointed in Carl the Crafter. Was it some kind of, like, flesh golem with magical materials infused into it? Because that sounds like something I would do. Like I said, I don't remember specifics on it, so... Some kind of magical golem for magical materials sounds like something I would do. Then let's go with that. Um, Digby, Sergei, Surefire, the Baroness, Aseyu, and all the Solars, besides Behemoth, who's not there this session. Yeah, Devin unfortunately couldn't make it to that session, so there's no Behemoth in this one. Go in Wayward's flying boat up to the green light. Where there is a spherical facility made of shining iron, steel, and bronze with no obvious doorways, and they suspect that it might be a trap. Yeah, they suspect gremlins are loose in there and that it might be a trap. So oh, yeah, because the Seiyu was there with you, so he yeah. probably mentioned gremlins. Yeah, he explained, okay. he explained gremlins to the drum, which you might want to explain to them because I don't think they know what it is, our listeners. Um, it's a. Mimetic Plague, we'll touch on it more when it becomes more relevant. I know, quite some time, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it does not become relevant right now. I think that, like, they mention it in, in, like, it gets mentioned a lot in this session and then never gets brought up again until for, like, go, a year. Until we go to a place for a thing. Finally, they see a door and there's no lock. Uh, they discuss going in. The Baroness knocks, then, then you knock. With lock opening technique. Because Storm having a lock opening technique is awesome. I love it. Because you can just, is it a mortal, is it magically locked? No? Cool, it fucking opens. And if it is magically locked, I have to roll for it, but it's usually pretty but easy But you're fucking beat. exalted, so it magically opens. And uh -huh. four to five doors open. Uh, because you guys think it's a trap, Tally summons a Neoma. Really gotta... Really gotta start, like, if we run Exalted again, I really gotta, uh, crack down on the summoning rules, because <coughs> they're very specific, and people just like to be like, I summon this! It's like, that's not how it works. Oh no, it gets really weird later on. Remember when we summoned, like, 90 Neoma for something? That I'm not gonna go into, because no, it's spoilers. I don't. No, I don't. Yeah, that happens. Um... 
Yeah, so Tally summons the Neoma and sends it to check out uh, to check out the control room. They hear fire wands go off, and Tally feels the Neoma die. Uh, so you guys decide to go that way towards the gunfire. Yeah, we're great. That's awesome. Um, and they find what is effectively a warden's living quarters. Yeah, after about 30. Uh, well, so the gunfire went off about 30 minutes after we sent the Neoma down there. Okay. So it was a little... So about 30 minutes worth of travel was safe, mm-hmm. supposedly. Yep. Um, so you guys see camera views of prison, of prison cells. Many of them empty. Some have bones. Two of them are occupied with machine spirits. Machine spirits are basically machine gods. Uh, let's see. Tally works with the animated intelligence of the place and finds that the warden is trying to leave. You guys catch up with her and give her food and set up a meal plan. Did you set up so that she would get food up there? Is yeah. It? Okay. And then you find out that she's the adamant cast from... Uh, Dayman's, uh... Yeah. We also uh, found out assembly. she had, like, a super high, I think, clarity or something like that. Yeah, I think she had, like, a insanely high clarity. The clarity is the one where it's, you're, you're very yeah. embracing the exaltation. You're very, like, n- you're, you're becoming a robot, yeah. Yeah, she had clarity 10, if I remember correctly, you told us that. Let's see, and then you guys decide to go to the Hundred Kingdoms, Look shy, and then the north, and you have rented in here in parentheses, daddy issues. Yes, because the north is where Talisman's father is at, because we found that out, so daddy issues. She really didn't want to go to the fucking north. So, for the Hundred Kingdoms, you guys are going to do Mount Metagalapa next session. Oh boy. Oh boy, if it had only been one session. It was definitely and then, not one session. And then there was a note in here to when you go to G-Bay to bring an army. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also have Doof Lord Gets Dangerous, but I don't remember what that was from. I remember that was a thing that happened. Two floor gets dangerous. Oh. Wow. And and Storm also talked to Star and Ghost during calibration, but that was like side conversation, so I didn't write them down. Okay. So then. I think it was pretty much Storm just back alley dealing with information and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You were probably uh, trying to get information on what would be more important to do next. That might have been where he like thanked you guys for not um, drowning Volovod. I mean, and that's when he accidentally played his hand that Volvot's under his, yep. under his portfolio. And Storm ended up using that so many times against him. All right, so for the that that session was super fucking quick. Yeah. Um. So for the next session, it's Sunday, July the 9th of twenty seventeen. Hey, you remember the year this time? Congrats. Have fun the, with this one. <laughs> the, oh, I remember this one. The Baroness comes to wake up, uh, uh, to wake to wake people up. Uh, Diego comes to wake uh, Storm up and tells you that there's a man with a corpse, with a dieclave through him. Um, the dieclave is soul steel star metal and is from a royal war strider. It also has in here that uh, you are not a morning person. Yeah, Storm is not a morning person. Surprise, the Nightcast is not a morning person. Let's see. Um, and for size reference, a Royal War Strider's Diclave is like the size of a fucking Gundam sword. Like, it's ridiculous. It pierces through a multiple feet thick wall. Yep. 
So Percy arrives first and sees the body of an ashen man. Sees the body and an ashen man with an elemental accompanying him. Accompanying, accompanying him. You got this. The guy has... Human strangle marks around his neck. Human strangle, okay. And he looks like Superfly Johnson. Yes. He looks like Superfly Johnson. Who? Weird. Why would he look like Superfly Johnson? I guy is he... here. He's here to deliver a message and willing to wait for all of us to get there. The guy... Let's see. So when they all get there... Um, he says that he, let's see, the guy remembers Seeker. Who Do you want me to just read? Yeah, I really cannot <coughs> get through. Your notes are fine when it's, like, condensed and everything, uh -huh. but, like, I can't. I'm, you're, I'm you're like, going all around the page. You're perfectly fine, dear. Uh, so, we speak to the, the guy, and we learn that his name is Plague of Trust. And he says that he doesn't have a circle, and he remembers Seeker, who is not currently with us. He's in Yushan. And he also remembers that he hates him very clearly. So not only does he remember Seeker, which hardly anybody does, but he remembers that he hates him. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, we also find out from him that the first and forsaken lion has taken Jim. Mm-hmm. And Plague is talking about going to heaven to basically get his revenge on Seeker, since that's where he's at as a new shed. Yeah, he somehow knows that that's where Seeker is. Weird. Hmm. I wonder why he would know about that. I wonder why. I wonder why. That's so weird. Um, it's not. It's really not weird. It's almost like certain other NPCs that don't really get noticed or have anything said about them or feeding him information because there's a lot of spies in your midst. Oh no. Spies. Spying on spies. Spy versus spy. A lot of that was happening and like, it's not that you guys didn't know it was happening, but it was that you guys had way bigger problems to deal with than playing spy games. It's true. Even the spy had bigger games to play than spy games, weirdly enough. So, but anyways. Um, so we find out that the guy that's in the wall, that's basically nailed into the wall with a sword, uh, is named the Fateless Ivory Swordsman. And he was the guy that was going around killing exults. And we had the reason that name might sound familiar to listeners, if you listen to the previous stuff, is because we had met him before, but none of us remembered him. So I think we remember that we had forgotten him until we saw him this time around. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so we go and kind of examine him to figure out what's going on. Um, there's multiple puncture, like um, like weapon puncture marks, and like it's a small, precise blade. And it's, uh, I believe it was up his spine. Oh, no, I'm sorry. His spine was actually ripped out. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was lots of webbing and spider bites inside of him. Yep. Which makes sense for Sidereal if you know anything about Sidereals. Well, he wasn't a Sidereal. He was a Gatimian. I thought... Oh, that's right. No, he was a Gatimian. He and was a Gatimian. We eventually find out who killed him, and yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. That's Yeah, right. because Gatimians are reverse Sidereals in the way yeah. that I... Read that is oh they stole a bunch of pattern spiders and put them inside themselves. Put them inside themselves to and give themselves them for the power. pow yep. powers. Yep. Yep. I forgot about that. You're so I just realized that we're not mentioning my favorite thing about this new NP this old NPC that got a new lease on life. Are you so talking to speak. about his voice? Yes, I am. Okay, about go his ahead. Voice. Go, uh, let me finish this real quick and then go ahead and do that voice. Uh, I'm just gonna go over the the rest of the information about mm -hmm. the Fateless Iris Swordsman. Um. 
the corpse that's there is about a day or two old, and the spider bites that are on him range from days to years old. Wayward uses his wizard eyes, which is not the name of that charm, but that's what we're calling his wizard eyes. We already had this argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, uses wizard eyes to see the vaguely arachnid, like, mechanical spirits that are leaving his body. Um, with investigation, he's able to figure out that they are indeed pattern spiders. And Storm can kind of infer that he has similar powers to Star, which makes sense, um, and that they are aligned to five magical materials that have something to do with the maidens. And if I remember correctly, this was our first time meeting a, a Gemintian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I saying that right? I always say it wrong. Gatimian, Gatimian. I, I always say it wrong. Always. Uh, and Asayu says that they are autochthonian spirits, like these mechanical spiders. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and that they basically help calcify the wild and that they're architects of creation. And basically that all this seems to be trying to head to the northwest. So Storm tries to pick one up and lets it walk on her hand, but she doesn't feel anything while it's doing that. So they're, I guess in essence, like, not weightless, but... They are weightless. They're... Ethereal, I guess is a good way to put it, maybe? They're such small... They're such, I think that the term in Exalted is least gods. They're so powerless without being part of a swarm that they almost do not register. Okay, that makes sense. But when there's a huge swarm of them, they become, like, really terrifying. Okay, now if you want to explain uh, Plague of Trust's lovely voice. So, Plague of Trust, as we explained already, uh, was, used to be Superfly Johnson. Until um, Devin's character Seeker decided to use, uh, I think, one of his shadow things to try and uh, mm-hmm. to kill him. Well, he and didn't did try. That. He he did he did kill him. He he made the guy hang himself. Um, and then in doing so, this guy got given the Abyssal Exaltation, which turned him from Superfly Johnson into uh, Plague, Plague of, of Trust. Trust. So Plague of Trust enters the scene with. The <clears throat> necrotized uh, green maw that uh, John had left with him. Yep. And I've got this spooky, weird, gothic industrial music playing through my speakers. And I've got like, this super serious scene as this corpse lord like descends. And then he looks to everyone and goes, Well, hello there. My name is Plague of Trust. How are you all doing today? I just found this corpse here. I just wanted to give you all a little message, and now you all are blaming me for killing this guy? I didn't do any of that. No, no you didn't. So yeah, so this guy comes down, and then he has just a me trying to do my best Kermit the Frog impression. I think it was better during the campaign, because you're used to doing it a little bit more. Yeah, I I don't do the... Hello there, I am Kermit the Frog. Like, I literally have to do that, like, five times to get the voice going. And then if anyone, and if I have to describe anything, I have to, like, Hello there, I am Kermit the, like, I just have to keep doing it over and over again until I can get it. Yeah. It, but it, it's a great voice because there's a great juxtaposition between, like, Spoo- that voice. Sp- that voice and then Spooky Boy. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so back to this. Storm basically explains uh, all the stuff about Seeker, Fateless, Plague, and the Solar Circle down in the south because, you know, she knows about it now. 
and all the other information that she gained from Seeker imparting it to her. Um, Diego and Asayu affirm that Storm is telling the truth because, you know, I guess nobody wanted to believe her mm-hmm. for some stupid reason. Well, you have that imaginary... They're not going to believe you and this guy who believes that Seeker is a real person because nobody else believes that Seeker is a real person. Yeah. We end up burying the, the uh, Fateless Ivory Swordsman and go to the graveyard to speak with him later that night because we were can speak to spirits. So it was super convenient for us. Uh, 30 miles outside of Lukshai was the last place that uh, Fateless, or Ivory Swordsman, whatever you want to call him for short, uh, remembers being. And he does remember getting kicked out of heaven and fighting back against Yushan uh, to let everyone have free will because that's what he believed in. They ended up taking the spiders uh, from him uh, that were put into his spine. Uh, So he wants to stay around and do stuff and, well, we're dicks and kind of threaten to send him off if he doesn't talk. (laughs) And, uh... Sounds like you guys. Yeah, we are dicks. It's totally true we're assholes um so so the ivory swordsman talks about how he'd been killing exalted to take their powers and that he needed their powers to help him and the war with yushan he ends up giving us some info but it's not really super helpful to us and uh like i said we're assholes we end up sending him his spirit off anyways yep because you guys could have totally had a like a guy who actually knew what the fuck to do when you when you all eventually go up to heaven. I mean, some of us figured it out. The others of us didn't. The problem is, is that it's the ones who didn't that went up to heaven. Yeah, even with explicit instructions on what to do. <sighs> A better thing to have given them would have been explicit instructions in what not to do. That's too long. That's too long of a list. You could have just said, don't yell at people, and it would have stopped all of their plans. I mean, I didn't... Never mind. <laughs> I told them exactly what to do. I wrote it down and gave it to them. I can't wait to... I, I really can't... wanted to go up to you, Shannon. I couldn't because I had to go and fight, man. <sighs> Being a combat monkey is not always great sometimes. I can't wait to get to that. Um, <laughs> the group decides to go to Mount Metagalapa. And we end up taking Wayward's boat there. We have a Seiyu, Sergei, Diego, and some of Percy's army with us. Uh, we leave Tally and Surefire to watch over Sunshade while we're gone. And we get up to Mount Metagalapa. It's a floating mountain that has hawkmen and uh, rock riders basically harassing our allies from there. Um, because they're awful like that. Mm-hmm. As we get closer, there's ice storms and lightning that start up, and um, as we get within a few miles of there, we start hearing flying agata, which are these wasps from Malpheus, and they're awful. Uh, and then this odd whooping sound, and just because I really want to do it, and I know if certain people listen to this, they're going to hate me for it, but actually, I don't think I should probably do it. Like you this. probably should not do that probably with your... Do. There's, there's a whoop sound from Avalon that really messes with some people that I know, and I would love to do it, but I'm not trying to kill my voice. Um, but yes, odd whooping. We get close enough uh, to them and end up having to engage them in battle. Uh, so we have the Baroness, who ends up destroying a whole battle group just by herself, you know, because she's the Raptokinator. Didn't she end up opening up one of her... Yep. 
She ended up open, showing off her chest cavity laser beam. Yep. Yep. That's why she's the Reptoculator. Yep. Uh, so after the first round of combat, uh, the air aspect comes down and surrenders. Mm-hmm. She says a prayer and the storm and the lightning all stop. And then you guys can finally see Mount Matagalapa. Mm-hmm. So, since you all can finally see Mount Matagalapa... Well, the, the only the addendum to that is she's known as the Lady of Rocks. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. So, Mount Matagalapa is, like that they, uh, like that Christina mentioned, uh, is a floating mountain uh, in the middle of the Riverlands that no one knows why it's floating! The group totally figures it out eventually. But the, eventually. But, but it totally, but the, the whole background of it is that one day this mountain just started floating and there happened to be a bunch of, like, like, an entire colony of, like, dragon-blooded and, like, realm people on... Or, not realm people, shogunate people on there. And it floated, like, a fucking mile up, so now they can't get back down. So now they had to make an entire floating mountain-dwelling society on there. And it kind of... Anytime you do an adventure there, it always uh, tends to have... Uh, especially the group is the first couple of people to really venture in there. It kind of has, like, an isolationist like nation greeting new people for the first time it's got it's usually got a unique feel to it i think i decided not to do that with this outside of the initial combat which was get out of my territory yeah and then we just kind of destroyed them on the first round so yeah no that that's the the basis of mount metagalapa Mm mm-hmm uh, we find out that the ruler, in quotation marks, of the place is a queen named the Lady of Vows. We also find out that Onibala is the goddess of the area. Mm-hmm. Just as some stuff that the Lady of Rocks ends up telling us before we go in there as a precursor. Yeah, kind of giving you guys a, uh, so here's the deal. Here's our queen. Here's the goddess of the area. Here's... I think there's some other info. Not yet. No? Okay. Um, park the boat on the lake, because why not? Because there's a lake. And we get escorted to Tushy Pal to meet the queen. And I can't read this name. Bellam? Bellam? Bellam. Bellam, yeah. Yeah. So Bellam wrecked a city in a hundred kingdoms. And the Hawkmen do not like the Queen, and oh, she does not like the Hawkmen, so it all works out. Man, so remind me about Bellum in, like, by the end of the episode. I'm not going to remember. Okay, well then I'll remind myself about it by all the right. end of the episode. Good luck. Because that's a, that's a plot point that never comes up again. Oh, well. But I do want you to know what was uh, what was supposed to happen. You might just want to say it now, because I think we'll both forget. Not yet. All right, we'll see. I have to I have to wait for a di- for a character to get introduced before it begins. All right, we'll we'll see what happens then. So Storm ends up heading to the west to find out uh, info about why they don't like the Hundred Kingdoms here, and how they need to expand per the Queen. And just like what's up with them, the tension there with the Hundred Kingdoms. Um, there's a lot more people being born. And there's a lot more people being born with essence and the ability to use it. There's a lot more dragon blood being born. Mm-hmm. She finds out that the queen came about ten years ago and forbade them to trade with Lukshai. 
for reasons that we'll which, find out later. Which is uh, incredibly weird, considering that uh, Mount Matagalapa is descendant from Wukchai. Mm-hmm. That's also really weird yeah. to think about in retrospect. Um, she finds out that the big boss bird is uh, called Rage of Birdman. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the Hawkman's god. And that the queen also has an accent very similar to Storm. Weird. Um, well, she's got a look shy in accent. Yeah, which is also makes it really funny because she doesn't want to trade look shy. Mm-hmm. Um, Percy ends up heading to the east. It's a quote-unquote better part of town. He gets picked up by the, a hawkman who says that invaders have to be taken to the bird god. So he gets to go and meet uh, Rachel Birdman. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, Rachel Birdman is a fucking weird thing for me to roleplay because he's fucking stupid. Yeah. Well, so while this Birdman is carrying Percival away, <laughs> Percival asks him twice to let him go. And when the dude still refuses to do so, he ends up stabbing him in the dick. <laughs> I can't make this up. It's in the notes. <laughs> stab him in his bird dick. God damn it, Craig. Okay. Yep. So Percival ends up falling and parrying the ground like he do. Uh, I think this is the first time that he's ever parried the ground. That might be the first time he's parried the ground. I'm so, okay. u- I'm so used to it after... Years of him parrying the ground and me dodging the ground. Okay, so in Exalted, you can have perfect defenses that allow you to parry or dodge, like, basically an incoming object, including the ground. You can basically get out of, like, you can basically get out of certain death situations with a par- with a parry counter thrust. And... This gets used eventually in Lookshy in possibly one of the greatest uses of Exalted's broken mechanics ever. Well, there was also that one where literally way later where he and I are falling, he parries the ground and I dodge the ground. <laughs> but as he falls, he ends up finding this woman. She has a creamy skin, platinum blonde hair, and her clothing is just all done up in light blues, and she has sort of this rainbow above her. Come to mm-hmm. find out, she's Onibana, On- Onibala, the mountain princess. And she recognizes Percival's weapons and says an old solar lover of hers uh, gave her similar magic ones a long time ago. And she says that she will give them to him if he helps the Queen of Vows, which we still don't know too much about right now. Behemoth, who is here for this session, goes looking for wild pockets, like he likes to do. Uh, he wanders and townspeople and children, uh, like he starts talking to them, and word sp- spreads pretty quickly about our solar group uh, taking on like their people, the battle that we did before we came into town. He ends up finding magical material that's being used in the buildings. It's uh, like like. Actually, a couple different magical materials that are used in the buildings, like jade or chalcum, which is not, like, jade, it's jade, not normally readily available stuff, but it's very common here. Jade's fairly common. Or chalcum not, though. Or chalcum is not common at all. It's, it's like, I think that the, And they're using this in their buildings, like, as a building material. Like, or chalcum is, like, the equivalent of, what's, what's a good equivalency? Like, just randomly finding gold? No, because gold's really readily available. Gold is not readily available. Well, I mean, it is, but Depends it where you go. It's, like, easy to find for jewelry and shit, but... Right. 
Right, but, like, you wouldn't use gold to build a house. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's also a very uh, surprisingly flimsy material. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's not uh, good for stuff like that. But I, I was basically, like using... you're using this really rare material to build your fucking houses. Like, who does that? Because it's a super rare material for everywhere it's else. It's like using gems to build your house out of. Yeah, something like that. But apparently all these materials are super common here, so what the fuck? Basically, uh, he talks about wanting to take a tour of the caves, uh, but apparently he has to talk to the queen first before he can do anything. Yep, they're very they're very uh, big on getting the group to come back together to talk to the queen. Yeah, Brendan. They yeah. really want us to go talk to the goddamn queen. Uh, you'll find out why I was slightly salty, but not actually salty about this in a little bit. Uh... Anyways, so he gets taken to a place where sorcerers are working, and he is looking for a Yasuo crystal? Yasuo crystal. Yasuo crystal. Yasuo crystals are uh, things that can hold spirits and well, souls. Well, yeah, he's looking for one big enough to hold 30 souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes to fight. Oh, right, right. So, um. Because of his thing. Because not because, just because of his thing, I was so I was listening to the uh, the other episode, and I realized that there were a couple of things that I did not actually chime in on that I should have. Okay. So the dark skinned lady that Behemoth bedded. Yeah. Mara, second circle demon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally forgot about that mm-hmm. until I was listening to it. And I was like, wait, that's fucking Mara. She's like the one who gives out that fucking sorceress initiation. Uh huh. Um, the other thing, the the giant jade thing. That I mentioned eating a behemoth in the Dreaming Sea and everything. Uh-huh. It's the fucking Jade Prison. Yeah, that was in the the thing to show for the future stuff. Right, right, but you were like, I don't think that we ever come back to this. Oh, okay. You technically don't, but it's it's the Jade Prison. Yeah. It's, which is technically the base of operations. Yeah... Anyways, did you want anything else in there? Or? No, no, it's just the, the Mara thing. But that's who that uh, he was talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how he know, he needs to get a Yassel crystal with thirty that can hold up to 30 souls to give to Mara. Yeah, and I think doesn't that, like, stop his that, bullshit, his curse? No, no, that just starts his quest line to stop his curse. Oh. I forgot he hasn't gotten on that yet. Alright, well, he ends up finding out that the queen is a master sorceress and has been uh, teaching people throughout the town sorcery. Um, and there's lots of books about demons and summoning them. And Behemoth ends up asking if they have books about Mara. Hmm. Timing is great. Oh, there we go. Uh, and they only seem to be able to do, uh, like, first circle terrestrial stuff, so nothing super big at this point. Wayward is off rocking out with the Baroness Sergei and Delilah. Uh, apparently the context is upbeat and happy. Ooh. Why are we allowed to be upbeat and happy? That never happens. No, I think that this game was actually fairly upbeat and happy until uh, until the second half. Yeah, yeah. This game was fairly like... like the, the NPCs were almost never happy, but it was very much a goofy, wacky, I stab him in the dick adventure. In comparison to the second half. Yes. In comparison to the second half, where I really tried to, like, double down on the... The mope and emo. The mope and emo, and it it did not work. Yeah. Well, because you usually do, like, fun, crazy bullshit, so... 
Well, the problem the problem that I find is is that um, like in Mage, like I can have those moments of seriousness with you guys, mm-hmm. and like because I sprinkle out. Well, I don't just sprinkle out. Like the moments of levity just fucking happen because you guys are fucking amazing to run with and like you guys make every game a joy and like fun but you still get those tense fucking moments like rory having to like fucking chuck a knife at a vampire and like cut its head off with aggravated damage because (laughs) holy shit i accidentally got near a fucking vampire initiation like thing and like holy shit but like you know the the scene before you're like laughing about fucking Sons of Ether like bullshit and just like, go get me the explosives! Get the dynamite! <laughs> Bring, take the dynamite back! Like, whereas for this game, I front-loaded all the happiness and joy and then decided, and now it's time to smack everyone in the face. And I really should have, like, actually had more time for you guys to, like, have downtime and actually, like, enjoy. And in retrospect, it was very much, we were trying to do the thing, we were trying to, like, this was our main focus, and it wasn't a levity situation. It was very much a, this is very serious, we need to do this, this is serious stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can only keep that tone going for so long without a break that it just, it, it doesn't work. It's fine, like... Throwing crates off of uh, ships and stuff like that. That was a little bit of levity. But yeah, no, you're right with the, uh, with the, when, with, like, throwing crates off there. Or I, I, so, I find that a lot of our stories that have to do with this game split into two things. And they're really, like, you can tell where that, like, really, like, a lot of it in the first half, while we're still playing Exalted as Exalted, mm-hmm. is us having fun with this broken goddamn system. And, ju- and like, also really fun, like, roleplay moments, but there's also a lot of stories that rely hev- that we tell that rely heavily on the system being kind of weird mm-hmm. and wonky. And then when we switch over to Godbound, all, almost all of the stories are... Roleplay moments, roleplay moments, roleplay moments. There's not a whole lot of, here's this wonky weird system thing that we did that, like, it comes up... Well, it's because for, like, combat and stuff like that, it was so, like, either streamlined or repetitive. Like, there wasn't any wacky weird shit. Yeah, there there wasn't any wacky weird shit. There wasn't any, like, stunting. There there wasn't any, like, and this is gonna be a spoiler for, like, way down the line, there wasn't any, like scavenging out in the bathroom, hiding in the rafters, waiting for your target to come in there. And if you don't right. kill them on the first blow, phasing through the door, and when the door opens, they get shot. Like, there's none of that. Like, the, yeah, there's no, um... There's no alpha strikes that cause, like, the boss monster to just go down. There's no back and forth with a monk in, in a cave. There's just... I do this. Do I hit? Yep. Okay. He, he does this in return. Does he hit? Yep. Okay? And just, it's like a, or I use this defense, I use that defense. And it's not that, um, Godbound's necessarily a bad system, but it just does not make for memorable combat. It makes combat feel like combat. It doesn't make combat feel memorable. Yeah. So there was that side tangent. Yeah, that was a, that was a little bit of a long side tangent, but that's okay. So back to Wayward, who's rocking out with, uh, Baroness Sergei and Delilah. 
when they're done, they have some people come up to uh, Wayward and the rest of them because they want to learn how to play. And uh, oh yeah, because they're descended from Wilkshire, and mm-hmm. Wilkshire is notoriously tone deaf. <laughs> but they ask him. But uh, love music. Yeah. Love music. Absolutely adore it. Notoriously tone deaf. So it's me. It's perfect that I play a look shy and then because mm-hmm. I can't sing for shit. Um, but I love to, I love to sing. I just suck at it. They end up asking Wayward if he would be willing to write a song about their queen. So that Queen of Vows comes up again. Weird. It's almost like it comes up during every fucking character. Yeah, weird. I don't know why. The group ends up meeting up together and comparing their notes on what happened to each one of them. And they decide to go have an audience with the queen that they keep just mysteriously hearing about for some random reason. Um, So they walk in, and she perks up when she sees our group. And she's got this, um, like, reflective, like, pale skin. It's got, like, a sheen to it. Um, Braided brown hair, shogunate armor. She's got a dye clay at her side. And a... And her skirt and greaves are all blue. And she's also got a green hourglass cast mark on her forehead. That's for Cecilene, the Endless Desert, who is a Yozi. Yep. So this person's an Infernal. Also, uh, her name is Lady of Broken Vows. Of Broken Vows. Not Lady of Vows, not Queen of Vows, Lady of Broken Vows. Oh yeah, and she's Storm's mom. Who she thought was dead. Yeah, didn't she, uh, like, like, didn't we end the session with her, like, seeing you and, like, Saying her real people, Storm's real people name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. what was Storm's real people name? Uh, it's Nerissa. Nerissa? Okay, yeah. yeah. And I think that's where I ended the session. It was just like, oh, Nerissa, it's you or something like that. And I just, like, frowned and was like, god damn it, I kept everybody from knowing my real name for so long. The only, that's the only time it comes up. No one ever calls you by it again. Nope. Nope. Not Is that the end of that session? Yes, it is. Okay, so the thing with Belong is, um, so now that we know that Storm's family is totally a thing that becomes important in this story, um, so your character- This is what happens when I give backstories. That's what happens when anybody gives me backstories. Well, I mean, how many people gave backstories? Didn't you say that, like, only half the group did, like, actual backstories? You gave a backstory, and John gave a backstory. Mm. And Devin gave a backstory, and Julia specifically said, I don't want a backstory, just give me whatever. Give me amnesia. Give me amnesia. Which is kind of a backstory. So the only person who doesn't really get, like, backstory play or, like, major, like... Um, like, major, like, character... Percival. Yeah, is Percival. And he still gets some stuff later on. Yeah. But, like, I had to, like, really dig in and start asking him questions about stuff. Not because his backstory... Because he did... Actually, everybody gave me a backstory except for... Joe? Joe. Maybe? Of that list that Joe's the only one in here. Um, which is obviously less important anyway. Because it's not like I had a page and a half to three pages written up for his entire backstory and subplot throughout the entire thing. So anyway. No salt um, at all. No salt at all. Um, so 
No, but, like, Percival did have a backstory. It's just his doesn't come up until you guys literally go to Wookshai, which is where, where all of his backstory is. Well, and I mean, his it's funny because, is... like, Seeker, Storm, Percival, they were all from Wookshai. And, like, the other thing is is that um, Percival's backstory is, like, it doesn't have a whole lot of fun elements to play with. Gotcha. Whereas, like, Wayward is from, like, this traveling circus family that that's, like, partially thieves and partially bards. And, like, you are, like, from Wookshai, and we're like, here's my family tree, and here's all their personalities, and I don't know where my mom and dad are. And I'm just like, let me ask you something. Do you know who this, like, person, I can't remember who the fuck it was, but well, it's... Well, at first you asked me, it's like, are your parents alive or dead? I was like, that's at your discretion. Right. So, um, one of them's alive, obviously. The other one is actually dead. Air quotes around. Dead. Air quotes dead. He's the reason that Balam got destroyed. Oh. Yeah, he's technically, um... My family's doing great things, man. He's technically, um, Plague of Trust circle mate. You've told me that before. Yeah, yeah. He's the, I think he's like the butcher of the Hundred Kingdoms. Interesting. He literally goes around and just murders towns. He's like got a huge rage boner going on. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, but like your entire family is supposed to be from like this prestigious Lukshayan family and... Don't, don't give stuff away. Don't give stuff away. Oh, and I was going to say, and like all of your family in some way exalts, except never is dragon-blooded, which is what they're supposed to. Yeah. Because uh, Storm actually has the, the dragon-blooded lines that yep. she keeps hidden for the most part. All, all of them do. All of them do. All of you guys are, like, perfect candidates for the dragon-blooded thing, and no one exalts that way. Yeah. Spoiler, guys. Everybody in my family is exalted. My, my two parents and my four siblings. But we're not going to tell you which one's exalted to what, except now you know that Storm's mom is a fucking infernal for Cecily. Right? Okay. And, you know, her dad's an abyssal. But her dad's that, an abyssal, that but that never comes com- up! That literally never comes up. That was just something Brendan told me. He's like, so you want to know what happened to your dad? Since all of them exulted? I was like, sure, what happened to him? Here. So both my parents are e- technically evil exaltations. They're technically evil uh, so- versions of solars. Yeah. And then I'm a solar, and then insert things for my siblings that I'm uh, not going to say later. A lot of, yeah. It comes up real soon. It comes up soonish. We've got, Mount Metagalopolis like four sessions. Was it really? Yeah. There's no fucking way. How much do you want to bet? I don't want to bet, because you know that I'm terrible at betting. Alright, so that was session one. Session I thought it was three sessions. Two. It might be three, but I thought it was four. Three session... Four session. Are you kidding me? Yeah, four sessions. Wow. I have a weird memory for useless shit, don't I? Holy shit, okay. So session number three of episode ten. On a Sunday. In July. The 23rd, 2017. Okay. That's fine, I was making sure I was reading the right one. Um, so Talisman, while we're up on the mountain, is rerouting ley lines for the, to the statues for our defense system back in Sunshine. And, uh, so we end up, we end up doing something kind of weird. We kind of, like, 
almost like hologram message her and uh find some very like it's mainly her head and she's trying to hide like the rest of the building mm-hmm. and we come to find out that surefire and her got together oh yeah because <laughs> i have surefire and tally with a little heart mm-hmm. <laughs> okay that makes sense we basically say hey we kind of need you and she's like well i'm all the way in sunshine sorry guys bye and Surefire does a Celestial-level teleportation sorcery thing to bring both of them to Wayward's boat. Yep. Because he's also a sorcerer. Because he just can do fucking everything. Why not? He's uh, totally not a self-insert. <laughs> <laughs> he actually isn't. Um, we end up sending the shifters out to scout for us while we go to talk to the Hawkman. Surefire is here as a different colored fox for this whole endeavor. Because when I say shifters, I mean the lunars. Um, yeah, so Surefire disguises himself as a different colored fox. Sergei becomes an iguana, which is the first time I find out Sergei can become an iguana. That he can go super small. Yeah. And become an adorable iguana. Yeah. And uh, Digby is a swarm of rats. And the Baroness is a swarm of Komodo dragons. Which is probably my favorite part of that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> What's that face for? I forgot that this happened. Yeah, we sent them out to to, to scout for us. So this all happened. Okay, so the swarm of rats makes sense for scouting <laughs> purposes. A swarm of Komodo dragons would not make any sense. I didn't make this choice. You made this choice as the DM. I know. And we uh, end up having Diego and the Seiyu with us. We end up going up to the mountain to interact with the Hawkman. And there's just lots of conversations about plans and what to do with Mount Medical Appa, Look Shy on the Hundred Kingdoms, and such. You guys are basically planning, like, ten sessions ahead during this session. Yeah, pretty much. Because there's been a lot of information that's been dropped about Mount Medical Appa, mm-hmm. its role in keeping the Hundred Kingdoms, and a bunch of other stuff. Yep, and its interactions with Look Shy and whatnot. Wayward and Behemoth end up feeling a lot of essence being drawn in the air and sort of going to the center of the mountain. That's just a side note. It's important, but it's just kind of a side note for now. We end up reaching the top and meet this bird brain hawk man. I'm sorry, bird brain hawk woman. And we ask to see the god, which is, you know, Rage of Birdman. And there's just so many goddamn bird jokes that were made. I don't even remember them all. I can just see my writing and see the exasperation of how I wrote it. It's, uh, this is foul. Don't. Yeah. Uh, it's like, we don't want to be involved in any foul play, but you don't know. Don't want to be involved in any foul play. And it was just so many bird jokes. It was ridiculous. Don't duck out on these proceedings. Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> the group eventually gets taken to a giant nest. It's about the size of a building. And this story's tall bird man with this large beak and wings that could cover, uh, like, his whole form with... It's just, I have large beak wings that cover whole form with giant hands. It's just a weird phrasing that I put for that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, because he's got wings, but then he's also got giant hands. He's, he's a giant-looking motherfucker. Yeah, and he seems to be growing inches every moment, also... Uh, and this is Rage of Birdman. Surprise! Uh, 
Yes, because the rage of the Birdmen is feeding into him. Yes. We found out that ten years ago, when everything was at peace, the Birdman was much smaller. Mount, the people of Mount Metagalapa uh, gave people to Birdman to spend his, to, like, get his rage out on so they would fight. So, this huge form is, the, is like, when his energy hasn't been spent, and uh, when he does fight people, he ends up starting to shrink down. So that's why they would send those people to him. Um, Behemoth decides, all right, I'm going to help with this situation, and decides to fight Rage of Birdman. I can't recall if this was a good idea on his part or not. I don't know, but he ends up fighting him to help him shrink back to normal. Um, and basically, he should be back to his normal size in a week. And then we can discuss plans with Rage of Birdman. Okay. So it was... I think it was helpful because, this, like, in his big point, size, he wasn't really helpful. Mm-hmm. But, like, in his small size, he had, like, more brain capacity. But he wasn't such a bird brain. Okay, right, right, right. When he was when he was big, he was full of rage, so he didn't have as much brain power. Mm-hmm. But when he's small, he's not as full of rage. Mm-hmm. You know, because you, you all had decided that um, we're not going to side with the queen here. Like, early on, right? I think our group was just like, fuck this, she's doing some shisty shit. Let's find out what our other options are. And Storm was just like, fuck this shit, I'm out. And couldn't do that, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember being like, haha, I'm going to like, this is going to be great. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give this character her mother and... They're going to have an ally in Mount Metagalapa, and it's going to be this weird, goofy alliance where they, they're working with an infernal, so now we can have all the Malfian politics come in. And the entire group went, you're an infernal? Fuck you! I th- like, she Storm, was- Storm's whole thing was, you're my mom, you've been alive for all this time, and you never contacted me. Fuck you! Right, but my my original intention with making that character your mother and, like, none of this was ever intended to be, like, oh, this is going to go on for four or five sessions or whatever. Just from Mount Metagalapa. We haven't gotten to look just, shy yet. Just from Mount Metagalapa. None of this was intended to do that. It was literally, like, go to Mount Metagalapa and get get an ally who's going to help you and then go to G-Bay. That was my original plan. And said you guys went... We're going to hang out in Mount Metagalop. Well, now that we've got plans to, you know, make plans with Rage of Birdman after he's normal, the group heads back to the boat. They decide to rest, and then our allies come back with information. They find out there are four families that we need to get on our side, and we need to get the goddess in the mountain on our side, so that's Onibala, and we need to check out the Sorcerer's Institute. The four families are the Watherstrats, which was the military family, mm-hmm. the Alabeth, which is the trading one, uh, the Baratsus, which are education, they're more dragon-blooded. Um, they're all dragon-blooded, technically. Well, it says more dragon-blooded. Oh, they're ten, so basically they tend to be more dragon-blooded yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Valu, Valu? Valu, probably. Valu, um, which is... Like tied to Onibala, and it has like priestly ties to her. Okay, so they're 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 the religious faction. Yeah, this is all stuff that I grabbed out of the uh, the Scavenger Lands book. Mm. This isn't just me like 
making shit up. There's a reason that, like, there's almost an entire shelf devoted to this entire fucking fiction. And I still don't follow the fiction, like, 100%. Well, I know we sent uh, Surefire Digby uh, Diego to go and talk to the Baratsu group. That's the military guys? Education. Education? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good group for that. Yeah. All right, so this ends up going over a couple of days. So I'm going to start with uh, part one of day one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, this literally goes all the way to here. Oh, God, we have we may have overestimated the amount of time that we can do in this. Yeah. Um, so part one of day one, Talisman, Wayward, and Behemoth go to the Sorcerer's Academy. Behemoth gets a tour of the facilities from them. And Leeward keeps his <clears throat> his wizard's eyes up throughout the whole tour, just to kind of keep an eye out. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to the restricted section and end up convincing them to let Leeward and Tally back mm. in, into mm-hmm. it for five minutes, uh, while the tour person Behemoth end up playing distraction, or well, while Behemoth plays distraction for the tour person. Um, so they see where demons were being summoned, and they notice an essence sinkhole. And they end up scan, scanning um, a good amount of the bo- books and find an iteration of the Broken Wing Crane. Side note, the Broken Wing Crane is a canonical uh, uh, exalted book that is written in... Uh, basically, no one knows who the true author of the Broken Wing Crane is. It's a book is. of pure fucking evil. It's a book of pure fucking evil. And basically, when it, the it, it's a book of pure fucking evil that appears throughout time in like not basically like as if it's still being written like it's like almost like a book that was sent back in time and the closer that it comes to when the author will pen the full broken wing crane is the more complete that it is yeah i have it uh 99 listed up here yep that's that's pretty fucking accurate yeah but that's a. Uh... The first part. So, day one, part two. Percy, Storm, and Sergei, Sergei's standing guard, go to the tra- trading outpost to talk to the Alabath group. Uh, someone there tells Storm that the queen would like a private audience with her. And, uh, because the queen had just been by that area. And they end up making some small talk about trading. They promote Nexus. Bleh. Um, and they... They say that, like, the Hundred Kingdoms is unreliable, stuff like that. I mean, they are. And the Leonin shaman mask made of redwood? I have no idea what that means. Um, that sounds like a tribe from... Linoan. The East. I just... Linoan, Lino- I think. Linoan shaman mask made of redwood. It's just mentioned in here for yeah. some reason. They, they, they might have had one for trade. Yeah. Well, they also says they want to buy a skyship from the Haslanti region from trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> they basically want to make a profit, but not at the price of their lives or their culture. And they talk about how the air elementals came in on the north wind and tried to claim the mountain as their birthright. But the queen ended up saving um, all the people from them. And Percy happens to know that about ten years ago was about when the bull of the north exalted, which is... Weirdly convenient, apparently. Weirdly convenient. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of convenient things happening. Um, 
It's almost like that since the world isn't exactly run off of, uh, what is it? Off of just happenstance and coincidence. It's almost like the world is run off of a giant celestial bureaucracy that hap that makes things happen. Fuck you, Shan. Creation rule and mandate. Can't just go up there and start yelling that and make it work. I know that. I'm well aware of that. Anyways. I hope I get to run exalted and everyone gets to hear something like that get recorded. And someone try that again with me. And I'm just going to stare at them and go, it doesn't fucking work like that. You realize if we get to play the Pirate's Lunar game, my character would totally do that. It's going to be super weird having you play exalted and like not be quiet and reserved. I'm kind of terrified for this. It's not going to be as bad as Rory, but uh, Sesta's a, a whole character. Okay. <laughs> At least in my headspace, the way I have her, so. Alright. Day one. Part three. Everyone meets up. Talisman shows us the Book of Evil, and we have a discussion of burning and or what to do with it. Uh, Talisman, Wayward, and Behemoth tell us about the Book of Pure Evil, and we, four versus one, the one being Wayward, agree to fire it. Just set it on fire. Wayward wants to keep it. Because uh, so, he's a crazy person. Yeah. Our allies let us know uh, the Baratsu family are very loyal to the queen. They were raised up from squalor by the queen. And they do not want to expand. They don't want to leave Metagalapa. So, not likely to get them on our side. Percival and Storm know that the Alabeth... Um, are down with helping us on their kind of like their own terms uh as long as you know excuse me like they just want to expand and progress and everything like that mm -hmm. um and basically we also find out that they own and run the mines where all that essence is going day two part one because i don't know if there's another part there might not be another part but okay. it's at least day two now so Talisman and Sharefire are going to the mines, and all the NPCs are going to the military house. Percy and Wayward decide to go to Onibala, which is a trip and a half on its own. Um, Behemoth goes to find a spirit holding crystals that he's looking for, and Storm goes to have a meeting with Mommy Dearest. Uh, Behemoth is able to convince a, a street crack guy to steal <gasps> some crystals. Um, and the dude ends up exulting while he does this, and he basically, um, I have likely into the exigent of thievery before we knew what he actually was. Yeah, he likely into the exigent of thievery, yep. Um, and then, which was just interesting, he's like, yeah, go steal this for me. Oh shit, that dude exulted while he was doing that, well, fuck. Um, I, he was totally expecting him I to just forgot, get murdered. Oh god, I had a ship theme for Talisman and Surefire. It was Tallyfire. <laughs> okay. So I wrote Tallyfire go to the mines. <laughs> and they have a discussion on finding um, out about. Like, they discuss how people found out about them being a couple and how that went. And then the Alabeth are the ones that are leading them down the, these mines since they own them and run them. And after some conversation, the Alabeth Tora person lets them have free reign to look around the mines themselves. And they dig a little bit, and they reach this refined material that Talisman can't get through. Which is very weird, considering she's the crafter and can get through motion on her own. Uh, but she needs a better drill for this particular material. 
she ends up uh, manipulating and lying to the foreman to get an Orange Chalcom for to get Orange Chalcom material for the drill. Uh, basically, saying that the queen requested a project that needed it, and then she ends up walling off the area for a bit so she can work on it. Um, oh my God, I forgot the team name that we gave for Percival and Wayward. What was it? Team Romantic Super Sex Squad. Wayward and Percival go to meet the princess in the cave, Onibala. She's awake, and cue Careless Whisper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did totally play Careless Whisper, didn't we? Yeah. And then uh, I believe that uh, my reaction was, hey, Craig, what's your appearance? Yeah. Uh, Percival just fails at flirting Percival with Percival not only fails at which flirting. Which was no surprise. But also has appearance one. Yeah. So, like, you're not even getting off on, yeah, you're a dumb meathead, but look at that bod. Yeah. <laughs> So Onibala's kind of, she basically calls him out on it for how bad he is at flirting and says that his last incarnation was way more suave, which I still can't believe, but here we are. Um, and Wayward, who is incredibly drunk at this point, asks uh, Onibala if she knows that the queen is evil. And Onibala says she's afraid of getting audited, but she says that the queen... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But she said uh, the queen uh, has better dead at this point. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But see. she's afraid of getting audited. It says queen has better dead at this point. I think I wrote that incorrectly. But Maybe. she basically just wants to know what they have to offer for information. And Percival leans in to give her a kiss, and she just begrudgingly accepts it. Um, and they end up leaving and decide that they need to call Star to talk to him about stuff. Mm-hmm. So Storm goes out to meet with Mommy Dearest. They end up meeting at the park um, that the Queen reserved for them. and The whole park. Yeah. Because that's what you do when you're the fucking Queen. Mm-hmm. So she ends up finding out... Um, Balam was uh, ransacked by a death knight. Oh shit, it actually came up again. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't catch the relevance, so. Because it wasn't enough for me to go on at that point. Uh, I think that's literally the last time your father gets mentioned in character. Probably. Uh, Daimyo Neferin is who Storm's whole family is descended of. Daimyo Nefarin, I think. That might be a, the how it's pronounced. If you look it up in the Lookshai book, it's basically the uh, the admiral who's in charge of Lookshai. Oh well, because it's yeah. the goddess of Lookshai, the god of bloodlines. It's uh. Oh no, because that's who we can go and ask if we're descended from. Them. That's who you. That's who you go to ask. But like, just spoilers. That's totally what the, your bloodline is from. Yeah. Which is why your family's such a big deal that, like, they, none of them became dragon-blooded. Yeah. But, basically, she's just like, this is who we're descended from. We are of royal bloodline. If you want confirmation, because Storm's not gonna fucking believe her. She thinks her mom's gonna manipulate her. Um, and she's like, if you want confirmation, go talk to the goddess of Lukshai. Go talk to the god of bloodlines. They are one of, like, the two few things or people that can confirm this for you. 
And um, Storm Again, also... Oh, go ahead. This is me trying really hard to be like... This, like, shaking the party as a whole, just going, this is an ally for you! I made you an ally! Please pick up the ally! Uh, spoiler, we did not pick up the ally. You did about the exact opposite. Yeah. And Storm ends up finding out that Cecilene wants uh, her mom to expand Mount Metagalapa and create allies with people. And she wants to work with us, like, uh, the mommy dearest wants to work with the group as equals and work towards a uh, common goal and not hinder one another. So they basically make small talk and then Storm heads back to the boat and notices an iguana, which is Sergei following her. So she picks him up and they carry him back. So my favorite part throughout this, because I think we've talked about it before, but I just have this uncanny way of figuring out people's intimacies while talking to them. I don't know why. So Storm, throughout this conversation, pinged on her mom's intimacies and made her take four points of limit. And it was starting to manifest and show because Infernals work a little bit differently. It's more outwardly obvious. Infernals are, yeah, well, you're... You're literally agitating the uh, the demonic coagitator that is uh, fused to their body, um, and you're also their limit basically causes them to, whereas an abyssal's limit break happening causes them to basically explode in necrotic energy because that's so edge lord. An infernal's uh, limit causes them to go for like whereas a solar's limit would be like. I'm going to ruin this scene and it doesn't matter what happens because that's just what we do. Mm-hmm. That's what fucking solars do. A Infernal's limit would be like, you have to be as completely maniacally like comic book evil as you can as your next goal. Hmm. Because Infernal's limit is becoming as evil as possible. And going again and like, but the thing is is that it's super hard to get limit as an abyssal or an infernal, unless of course you're going against your your death. Unless of course you're going against your death lord or your Yosi overlord. Which guess what she was doing a lot of, <laughs> just by talking to her daughter. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, Storm laid it on thick. She, just, she did the whole thing where she's like, "So, y- tell me, mommy dearest." For ten years, you have been alive and haven't talked to me or any of my siblings. I had to raise four younger siblings and become an assassin to take care of them because Dad and you weren't la- around. Who wanted her to be like, well, who do you think put those jobs in for look shy? <laughs> you could have. That would have been like, oh, I was helping as best as I could, dear. You would have been like, oh, shit, guys, we have to save my mom. She's been helping from the shadows the whole time. I think she might be lying to you. No, it's not that I have the worst resolve score in the world. I didn't have it anymore. Every time you did something with one of my worst scores, I immediately, as soon as I could, I upped that. I was still... I was still rolling like fucking fire in that game, though. <laughs> Anytime I had to roll against you guys, it was like, is this a weird dice trick that you guys have something to fuck me up on? No. <laughs> I'm good. Yep. Do you guys have weird dice tricks to fuck me up on? I'm fucked. Yeah. Everybody meets up, and they notice a man in a smaller boat sailing around our boat. <laughs> and it's just a folding boat. Just um, a thing. 
and he uses it to hide from the authorities. Yes, this is the exigent who, uh... I know, I'm well aware. Uh, and he basically wants to come aboard and get off of the mountain. Talisman says that she needs to make a drill. Uh, Percy says that we need to contact Star, try, uh, try doing that, and he's busy running through the jungle with paperwork, because that's his life. We find out that the exigent's name is Steely Dan. Because he's the exigent of thievery. Yep. And, uh, he... And JoJo reference. Also technically musical reference. Jeez. He ends up coming to work for us, uh, and Behemoth sanctifies the deal with him for working for us. Now, technically he is not going to work for you guys, but that's more because of a thing that literally happens next session. Yeah. Uh, so Storm ends up telling everybody about her conversation with her mom. And that's the end of uh, day two. So, day three. We go in at different times to meet, and we start drilling. And we use the Orichalcum, um, what is it? Orichalcum, like, drill. Drill. And uh, after a while, there's, like, a lot of resistance to it, but it ends up stopping, and we can get through to it. We see this energy in a walkway as well. So we end up following a path that eventually comes across the skeleton on the ground. There's really no trauma that caused the death, and it's, you know, it's a grown-up male dude. There's just not much going on with it. Um, They just seem like... Dead? Yeah, they just seem like they died. Like, there was nothing that seemed to cause it. Like, almost like starvation or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Then we end up talking about, like, trying to talk to the ghost of him, and Storm's just like, fuck this shit, I'm out. And she decides to stealth ahead and gets to a T-section and trying to, because I usually carry chalk on me whenever I play tabletop games, but I realized, I was like, Storm probably wouldn't have thought to grab chalk. Um, Mm -hmm. So she does like a small cut on her blade and draws this little blood arrow pointing in the direction that she went for when her friends decided to catch up to her. Uh, And it's pointing to the left. And so uh, it ends up opening into this large room with interlocking doors that are locked. Mm -hmm. Not for long, they're not. Yeah, right? Um... Behemoth and Sergei, because everybody ends up going ahead eventually, see the blood arrow go to the left, and they just go barreling down the left path because, for some reason, they thought Storm was fucking hurt, which I guess makes sense because it's Cause blood. Because there's blood, yeah. But it's like, in my headspace, it was a very, like, concise blood-drawn thing, not like a, oh, I'm going to smear this because I'm dying thing. Yeah, well, okay, so there's, the, there's your blood, and you put that towards... Behemoth, who is hyper-protective of his solar circle. And your lunar maid, <laughs> who is hyper-protective of you. <laughs> but they go barely down the left path, which is where the arrow goes. And everybody else ends up going down the right, uh, which is where the essence has gone to. But Storm can't see that, so how she's supposed to fucking know? And I got bored and didn't feel like waiting around as mm-hmm. Christina. So uh, everybody gets to their respective doors. Uh, Percy and Behemoth on their respective sides notice the control card thingy. On the right door, Talisman ends up hacking the system and sees something similar to the reality generator that we found in Volovat. And on the left door, Sergey and Behemoth pull the door up enough for Storm to get through um, as she's trying to pull like the card thing out. 
we find out this thing is similar to the wild engine and it's pouring something like or sorry not pouring something powering something and gathering essence to it uh the left door it's basically the bridge of the ship and eventually the guys are able to like lift this stuff it's up it's the and bridge get in. of a ship yeah yeah uh well, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Bridge a, of a ship. Yeah. And so the boys are able to finally get in there, and Behemoth, who can read Old Realm, uh, is able to read, like, the words on there, and it's the Thousand Sated Blossoms, the ship of the Unconquered Sum. Which, the Thousand Sated Blossoms is a reference to uh, the Primordial Metagose, which is a... Uh, I actually have that written oh, up top do? here, yeah. Excellent. I have Ship of the Unconquered Sun, the Thousand Sated Blossoms, which is a slight against uh, Metagose, the All Hunger Blossom. Yep. It was a Yozy. Yep. Which is kind of where the uh, name for Metagalapa comes from. Makes sense. Yep. Uh, so there's this holographic screen, and it shows everything that's online and offline. And the other group heads over to the left side where the bridge is at. Talisman ends up crawling into the control panel and finding the schematics for the ship, which is uh, basically an artifact that she could never recreate, surprisingly. Uh, Wayward ends up finding out that the whole ship is just basically, like we said, a slight against uh, Metagos. And that this is a first age solar tech, according to SAU. Behemoth realizes that they have been mining the ship all along, like the people of Metagalapa. And then basically the group's just like, okay, what do we do with this thing? And basically all the knowledge that we just gathered from like splunking down here, like what do we do? Uh, also, I have written down directional titan and sort of creation for some reason. Yes, because uh, the, the Thousand Sated Blossoms, uh, Mount Metagalapa, is a directional titan. Yeah. Which is on the same scale of weaponry as the Sword of Creation. That's why they're both written down there. Yeah, I, a directional titan one made sense. I just didn't know why I had Sword of Creation written mm -hmm. down. It's on the same scale of... Let me go this way. The material that is used in a directional titan is the kind of stuff where that it is literally... When it's crafted in the first age, it has never once touched the ground. Gotcha. Even in, like... Not even, like, no one ever mined that iron. Hmm. They went out to the fucking wild and, like, wild-shaped the fucking iron and then levitated it there and then they fucking, like, craft-charmed it. It never touched the ground. Oh. Well, that's the end of that session. Okay. So, to finish this off, um, we are now on iTunes, which is super cool. Ooh. Um, uh, please remember to always to like, comment, share, subscribe to our stuff. If you guys could give us a rating on iTunes, that's uh, and leave a review, that's going to help us immensely in getting to uh, new ears. Um, just even just a little bit, just hey, we love this. This is a great episode. Um, Download tell us, off tell of us how you really feel. Download us off of Podbean, or, well, no, it actually does show up if people do it on uh, iTunes as well. Oh, neat. Yeah, okay. so they don't have to use Podbean. But, you know, on iTunes, if you use that, it, leave us a review. It really, really does help, because that's how that they measure um, our relevancy to other people who are searching for other podcasts. Gotcha. Um, like, it actually has, like, a metric system for that kind of stuff. That makes sense. Which is super useful. I just don't know if it cross-systems or not. It'll help cross-system. The more people that see stuff, kind of like, 
It kind of, like, crossed systems. I don't know. Okay, crisscross. It's not like I'm a computer major or anything. Yeah, and I'm not studying shit like that at all. Right. Anyway, so this has been episode 10 of Let the Good Dice Roll. Um, we will see you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye.